This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The University of Edinburgh's medical school was founded in the early 18th century. It's the oldest medical school in the United Kingdom, and one of the oldest in the English-speaking world. Throughout its over 300-year history, it has been renowned as one of the best medical schools in the world. Of course, to properly understand anatomy, which is critical to the study of surgery, students needed to have access to the human body. This was a challenge in the early 1800s. Scottish law dictated where suitable cadavers could come from – prisons, suicide victims, and orphans. This greatly limited the number of bodies available for students to learn from. For example, the University of Edinburgh's medical school was only allocated five corpses a year for educational purposes. With attendance growing rapidly, this was nowhere near enough. But where there is demand, there is always someone willing to supply. Resurrection Men was the fanciful name given to grave robbers, the men who dug up freshly buried corpses with the intent of selling them to medical schools. Family members went out of their way to ensure that the recently deceased were not prey to these resurrection men. They paid watchmen to stand guard, they rented a large stone to put on top of the grave, or they placed cages called a mort safe around the coffin, all until the body was too decomposed to be of value to the medical schools. Dr. Robert Knox was a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh and had a very strong reputation as a top-quality anatomist. He lectured twice a day and promised fresh anatomical subjects at each lecture. But like other lecturers in Edinburgh, he was unable to find enough cadavers to meet his needs. He started paying resurrection men to supply fresh corpses for his lectures, paying up to eight pounds in the summer when the bodies decomposed quickly and 10 pounds in the winter when demand was higher because it was easier to store corpses for a longer period of time. William Burke was an Irish immigrant who crossed paths with William Hare when he moved into a boarding house run by Hare and his wife. Shortly after, a tenant in the boarding house passed away, still owing Hare rent. In order to recoup his losses, Burke and Hare sold the body to Knox. It was an easy seven pounds, 10 shillings, and the start of an ominous business partnership because Burke and Hare decided to no longer wait for people to die of natural causes. They decided to take matters into their own hands and started killing people in order to sell the bodies to Knox. They murdered 16 people, including tenants in Hare's boarding house, prostitutes, and even strangers on the street. Unfortunately for them, Burke and Hare's grisly enterprise eventually caught up with them when tenants at the boarding house discovered a victim hidden in the straw of a bed. Hare turned King's evidence on Burke and quickly disappeared. Burke was found guilty and hanged on January 28, 1829. Ironically enough, because he was a prisoner, his body was legally used for dissection, and his skeleton was given to the Anatomy Museum at the University of Edinburgh, where it still is on display. Burke has a few other legacies, one good, one not so much. First, the new word, burking, was created to describe the act of murdering someone for anatomical purposes. And second, thanks to the Burke and Hare murders, 
the Anatomy Act of 1832 was enacted, changing the way corpses were sourced for medical science and eliminating the need for grave robbing. Or so we thought. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to True. Almost two centuries after the macabre work of Burke and Hare came to an abrupt end, the business of harvesting human organs and tissues still thrives. Today, the number of registered donors doesn't come close to meeting the incredible demand for these life-saving body parts, making it a profitable industry. Where Burke and Hare were making an impressive 8 to 10 pounds per body, today, the sale of internal parts from one human body can fetch well into the six-figure range. A fact that was not lost on Michael Master Marino, a former dental surgeon who became the face of one of the grisliest biomedical schemes in U.S. history. In the late 1990s, Dr. Master Marino was a young, well-regarded oral surgeon. He was in his early 30s and had already established himself as a proficient doctor, treating injuries, diseases, and defects in the mouth and jaw area. He specialized in the hard and soft bone tissues of the oral region, making him an expert in transplant and extraction techniques. He became even more prominent in his field when he co-authored a book popularizing the benefits of dental implants. He ran successful practices in both Midtown Manhattan and New Jersey, and life was looking good for the hardworking doctor, husband, and father of two. But as the 90s came to an end, so did his aspiring medical career. Friends, family, and colleagues started noticing a drastic change in Master Marino's attitude, physical health, and quality of work. What most of them did not know at the time was that he had become a drug addict. The promising doctor had complained of back pain and sought relief through Demerol, a highly addictive painkiller that has a similar effect to morphine. Demerol is so powerful, in fact, that doctors do not recommend it for treating chronic pain. It's just that addictive. Such was the case with Michael Mastro Marino. The first malpractice suit was filed against him in the spring of 2000, shining a light on a series of professional misconduct allegations. His colleagues would go on to tell investigators that he had once fallen asleep in the middle of performing surgery. That once, while coming out of the men's room at his office, he passed out with his pants down around his feet. They told investigators that he had once left a sleeping patient in the operating room, only to be found later shooting up in the bathroom, the needle still in his arm. According to the first malpractice suit, he severed the wrong nerve during an operation, resulting in permanent facial damage to the patient. Everything came crashing down when he was arrested in Fort Lee, New Jersey in June 2000, only a couple of weeks after the first malpractice suit was filed. The arrest wasn't related to the lawsuit, though. He was picked up for being under the influence of a controlled substance and charged with possession of a dangerous substance. The police had found him with a hypodermic needle and his drug of choice, Demerol. Mastro Marino lost his license to practice dentistry not long after, but was able to avoid being convicted for the drug charges. At age 38, Michael Mastro Marino had destroyed his successful career, lost his medical license, barely escaped a drug conviction, and was still a drug addict. He had hit rock bottom. But with a family to support and a life to salvage, Master Marino eventually was able to kick the drug habit 
and start to rebuild. When it came to his next career path, the former oral surgeon had an idea. He thought about how much he used to spend on tissue and other biomedical material for surgical procedures. But now, he started to think about it from the opposite perspective. And then it clicked. He decided his medical knowledge would profit most in a much more niche area of the medical world, human tissue harvesting. Since he was no longer a buyer, he would become a seller. Many of the surgeries he performed in his previous career required tissue transplants. This meant that he had several contacts within the industry, and he reached out to one in particular. Regeneration Technologies Incorporated is one of the biggest suppliers of human tissue and one of the largest manufacturers of human internal replacement parts. When Michael Mastro Marino first approached the company, he told them that because he was an experienced surgeon, the quality of the harvested materials would be vastly improved. With nothing to lose, Regeneration Technologies, or RTI, brought him on in a probationary capacity. They wanted to see if he could live up to his claims, so invited him on trial runs. It didn't take long for him to prove his worth. With surgical precision, he was able to harvest more tissue with better results. Swapping his dental license for one that allowed him to harvest human tissue, Mastro Marino was licensed by the state of New York in 2002 and went to work full-time for RTI. As the newest member of the company's harvesting team, he was ambitious and had many ideas about how to expand. One of those ideas was to get as close to the source of the biomaterial as possible. To him, it was an obvious move, setting up shop in funeral homes. RTI was on board with this novel approach, and Master Marino started contacting funeral directors around New York City, Philadelphia, and Newark. He offered them a commission of $1,000 per body if they could provide the corpse of an organ and tissue donor. For the funeral businesses that took him up on the offer, it was not uncommon for them to promote discounts to family members if they gave consent to donate the organs of their deceased loved ones. The funeral homes preyed on families that could not afford basic funeral services. And it worked. More and more bodies became available. Undertakers were selling upwards of a dozen corpses a month, netting them thousands in extra income. Mastro Marino was allegedly earning as much as $15,000 per body for his part in providing the raw biomaterial. It soon became clear that the business model was not just working, it was thriving. Business was so good the first year that Mastro Marino had to hire another harvester to assist him. He then set up his own company based in Fort Lee, New Jersey, naming it Biomedical Tissue Services, or BTS. This marked the tipping point when things turned from sketchy to flat-out illegal. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. The organ and tissue harvesting industry is highly regulated for many reasons, the main one being public safety. 
The high risk of infection associated with these transplants means that the quality of the replacement material has to be a top priority. According to regulators, a body cannot be harvested more than 15 hours after the time of death if it remains outside of a refrigerated environment. If the body is kept in cold conditions, guidelines stipulate that it can be harvested within 24 hours of death. There are also strict health and safety standards that require all harvesting to be performed in a sterile room to prevent contamination. There are age restrictions that must be followed and comprehensive screening to determine if there are any diseases that would disqualify the donor. Arguably, the most important regulation is the need for consent. This can be obtained by the donor prior to their death or by the family following their death. But without the documentation providing written authorization, the removal of a single hair is strictly against the law. Michael Mastmarino and his team of organ grinders ignored everything. The majority of BTS's harvesting operations were performed inside funeral homes. They were often done in the basement or attic or in rooms used for the embalming process, far away from the public areas of the funeral home and certainly not in a sterile environment. Biomedical tissue services didn't concern themselves much about the sanitation regulations. In fact, BTS didn't concern themselves at all with any of the regulations and requirements governing their industry because BTS wasn't actually a licensed supplier. While Michael Master Marino had received his personal license to harvest tissue in 2002, he had neglected to obtain a business license for his company. They had been operating illegally since the very first delivery of human tissue. According to the American Association of Tissue Banks, it would later come out that he had never even applied. This fact would eventually play a large part in his ultimate fall from macabre grace, but the truly dark parts of his crime were about to come to light, and when they did, Master Marino's demise was sealed. Daniel George and Son Funeral Home, located in Brooklyn, New York, was the site of much of the harvesting operation. The funeral home director had created a secret room that could rival a Hollywood horror movie. Bodies would be loaded onto a hydraulic surgical table on the main level and raised through a trap door in the ceiling leading into the cutting room. Once the table cleared the trap door on the second level, the work would begin. Well, not always right away. It was not uncommon for the bodies to remain untouched for days before the harvesting took place. And as more corpses arrived, the secret room would take on an even more gruesome appearance. Witnesses described bodies left unattended with missing limbs, bones, and skin. Dated refrigerators stocked full of organs and tissue samples waiting to be shipped out. Rusty medical equipment used to perform the harvesting operations. And this was only one funeral home in a large network working with Master Marino. Unknown to their families, bodies that were going to be buried had bones that were removed replaced with PVC piping, and missing organs were replaced with wadded up newspaper. Bodies that were going to be cremated were simply stripped. Master Marino's horrifying business came crashing down in late 2004, when the Daniel George and Son funeral home, with its hidden cutting room, was sold. The new owners quickly brought the secret room to the attention of the police, and in November of the same year, investigators began an intensive search of the premises. 
That search connected biomedical tissue services to the Grizzly operation. It was during the review of the company's documents that they found the most shocking evidence against Master Marino. Among the paperwork were hundreds and hundreds of donor profiles, consent forms, medical records, and death certificates. Authorities would later report that of the more than 1,000 files in their possession, only one had not been forged. Mastro Marino had falsified every detail in those other cases, ensuring that profiles fit the ideal donor standards. If they died old, he would make up a younger birth date. If they died of cancer, he would identify the cause of death as cardiac arrest. Such were the circumstances involving one high-profile case. Investigators had discovered a donor file with a familiar name. It was the host of the long-running TV show Masterpiece Theater, Alistair Cook. Good evening, I'm Alistair Cook. Tonight we begin a new series. The 95-year-old highly regarded British journalist died of cancer in March 2004. He lived in Manhattan, and so his daughter, Susan Kittredge, sent his body to a funeral home in the city to be cremated. Unaware of the funeral home's secret industry, before Cook was cremated, harvesters removed his arm and leg bones, skin, and tissue material. It would be almost a year before detectives contacted his daughter with the disturbing news. He asked me if my father was Alistair Cook, the Alistair Cook. And I said, yes. And he told me that he had reason to believe or suspect that my father's body was one of the ones that had been stolen. And I honestly don't remember what he said after that. Certainly it was awful and shocking for me, but the idea that this was so widespread and that people were, were receiving questionable tissue and body parts and having them implanted in them was what was and remains to be really upsetting to me, that people could be being made ill. What horrified the U.S. Food and Drug Administration was the health risk to the thousands of transplant recipients. If biomedical tissue services had sold the cancerous, diseased remains of a 95-year-old with no regard for public safety, how many more were out there? How many patients had already received potentially life-threatening transplant material? With over a thousand other instances of illegal harvesting by BTS, the FDA instigated the largest recall of tissue products in history collecting everything distributed by BTS during its three-year operation. Authorities estimate that as many as 10,000 people may have received products harvested by the illegal business. The risk to those recipients was greatly reduced thanks to the strict regulations that required distributors to screen all material purchased by suppliers. However, several lawsuits have been filed over the years from patients who did develop serious health issues after their transplants. The lawsuits describe recipients developing HIV, syphilis, hepatitis C, septic shock, and paralysis, all because of the BTS harvested replacement material. The FDA shut down biomedical tissue services in October 2005, after Michael Master Marino and three of his employees were arrested. They were indicted on over 120 charges, including harvesting human bones, organs and tissue, forgery, enterprise corruption, reckless endangerment, and illegally obtaining and selling body parts without consent. Sir, can you come 
Authorities say one cutter who worked for Mastro Moreno was sentenced earlier this month to 9 to 27 years in prison. And a second cutter, Lee Crusita, pleaded guilty and faces up to 20 years. Michael Mastro Moreno pled guilty and was sentenced in June 2008 to serve up to 54 years in prison. He was also ordered to pay almost $5 million in restitution to the victims of his gruesome enterprise. The dentist turned harvester died in 2013 at the age of 49 while still serving his prison sentence. Ironically, his cause of death, bone cancer, disqualified him from being a tissue donor. You know, it happens to be almost the perfect crime. You, your, you, your evidence is either buried or cremated. So it's nearly the perfect crime these guys got away with. True is a production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by me. The executive producer is Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment. Cover art and design was created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. Comments? Questions? Get a hold of us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.